Hi, everyone. Um, we'll start in around five minutes. Um, thank you for coming. If you want to come up to the stage to ask questions, please go ahead. Um, Hey, Hello. how are you? How's your day? Well, a little mixed. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's conclude a mixed day with low doses of LSD states. Huh? Yeah, let's let's see how that would look like. <laughs> Hi Z, hi Wisdom. If you also want to join up here, please feel free. Hi Ahmad, thank you for coming. If you want to join the conversation, please join us up on the stage. Hi, Hannah. How are you today? Thank you for coming. Can you hear us? Hi. Yeah, sorry. I'm um, still trying to get used to the app. But yes, yes, I can hear you. Perfect. We'll wait a few minutes, like three to four minutes to give people time to arrive and then then I'll introduce you and then the stage is yours. Okay, sounds good.
Um, yeah, we can slowly start um, by introducing you and so on, and then um, and then we can always like um, let pe oh let me just sorry pin the article uh, to the room, and then we can start. Great. There's the article, so people can follow along and um, and read. And yeah, so welcome to the Science Society. Uh, we are very honored to have um, Dr. Hannah Muller presenting her. Um, she's the first author of this study. And um, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, Dr. Mola, she um, did her Bachelor of Science and Arts in Biology and Psychology at the University of Colorado in Denver. And then she did her PhD at the um, um, in pharmacology under the mentorship of Dr. Kuei Tseng where she studied the role of the endocannabinoid system of the prefrontal cortical function and the impact of adolescence cannabinoid exposure on prefrontal cortex development. And she's currently in her second year of her postdoctoral training, and she is in the Dr. Harriet DeWitt lab, and she's interested in studying the neural and cognitive effects of drug use in humans with a particular interest in cannabinoids, but um, yeah, this study is uh, about microdosing of um, LSD, which is really interesting. And I read this book uh, years ago. I think uh, the name was a really good or a really great day. Um, so yeah, I'm really I I, I read the study and I thought it was really quite an important study. So I'm very honored that you made the time to join us here and to tell us about your work. Thank you. Great, Katerina, thank you so much for the, the introduction. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to, to be here with you guys tonight to, to talk about the study um, that uh, was just published last month from our lab. Um, so as Katerina mentioned, um, I am a postdoc at the University of Chicago, and I'm, I'm working um, in Harriet DeWitt's lab, um, and she is um, sort of the, the lead researcher um, for this study. Um, but so this study started um, a couple years ago, um, and we just finished it up um, at the uh, middle of last year. Um, and for this particular study, so I'll just, I'll go over um, a little bit of background and then I'll just dive right into the, the results and everything and we, and we can chat about it afterwards. Um, so in this study, um, we were interested in, in looking at how um, taking microdoses of LSD repeatedly could potentially impact mood, um, cognition, and, and some physiological measures as well. Um, you know, over the past couple of years, people have reported boosts in mood and, and being able to be more productive at work um, from taking, you know, very low doses of LSD every couple of days. Um, 
but this hadn't really been studied before in a control setting. Um, and so that's what we were interested in, in looking at. Um, and it was uh, really important for us to, to test this in a double blind manner um, to reduce like any sort of expectancy effects or anything. Um, so, um, so in the study, we recruited volunteers to come to the lab um, for a total of five sessions. Um, and each subject was uh, randomly assigned to receive either placebo, um, 13 micrograms of LSD or 26 micrograms of LSD. Um, so basically a low microdose and a high microdose. Um, we chose these, these doses because I guess typically um, a, a full dose of, of uh, LSD is um, usually uh, roughly around 100 to 200 micrograms, um, and microdosing uh, is thought of as being a tenth of, of a full dose. Um, there was also a study that was published in the lab a, a couple of years ago um, where, they, um, where they tested, and I say they because I hadn't joined the lab at the time, but um, where they tested uh, different doses of LSD, different microdoses of LSD. So um, six micrograms, 13 and 26. Um, and 13 micrograms was sort of sub-threshold, so people didn't really feel much of an effect. Um, and then 26 micrograms, they, um, they felt a subtle effect. So we wanted to include um, those two doses uh, for this particular study as well. Um, so, um, so again, so the subjects here, they received either placebo, 13 micrograms, or 26 micrograms. Um, and the first four sessions were drug sessions, where they received um, whichever drug they were randomly assigned to. So if they were assigned to the 26 microgram group, um, they received that for the four sessions. Um, and then the last session was a drug-free session, um, and, and each of those sessions was separated by three to four days. Um, so subjects were, were tested on a whole uh, battery of tests on both the first and the last drug sessions um, to examine any sort of acute effects of the drug um, and to see whether there were any differences between the first exposure and, and subsequent exposure. Um, and then they were tested again on the drug-free session to look at any sort of lasting effects. Um, so in terms of uh, results, um, subjects completed uh, many different tasks and measures to um, assess whether LSD had any effects on those measures. Um, in, in terms of physiological measures, we didn't really find any significant changes um, in terms of heart rate and blood pressure um, overall throughout the study um, during the, the drug administration sessions. Um, so there's very uh, minimal effects on, in that aspect. Um, and uh, when, when the volunteers were asked uh, whether they felt any sort of a drug effect during the drug administration sessions, um, only the subjects that had received the high, the high microdose of the 26 microdose um, felt an effect throughout the sessions. Um, and this effect usually peaked at around two to three hours after administration. Um, and again, similar to that previous study, um, the, the low microdose, so the the 13 microgram group um, looked very similar to placebos in that they didn't really feel an effect. So again, we, we saw that the 13 microgram dose um, is, is basically um, sub-threshold. Um, to 
went to look at any changes like in mood state. Uh, so that was another aspect that we were interested in looking at. Um, we used uh, several different measures um, like the, the profile of mood states questionnaire to look at any changes in, in, in momentary mood, um, as well as the positive and negative affect scale. Um, and uh, we didn't really find much of a difference um, on, in any like mood state um, except for like increased feelings of, of vigor, um, which is kind of indicative of, of a stimulant-like effect. Um, and, and overall, uh, most of the subjective effects that the um, volunteers experienced were um, more stimulant-like effects, um, as was seen in, in the, um, a couple of the different measures like the ARCI, which is the Addiction uh, Research Center inventory measure. Um, that uh, measures typical drug effects and, and people scored um, significantly higher on the amphetamine uh, scale uh, on the high, the 26 microgram uh, group, um, as well as uh, they showed increases in the, um, on the LSD scale as well, um, which just measures certain um, hallucinogen-like effects. Um, we also wanted to look at whether um, microdosing LSD had any sort of uh, an effect in, in emotional processing. Um, so we administered a couple of different tasks um, and uh, on a task that mimicked uh, social exclusion, we did find that the highest microdose reduced uh, negative mood, specifically um, during the rejection phase, but um, not during the acceptance phase. Um, but on most other measures, uh, like a task where uh, subjects had to correctly identify facial expressions um, from images of faces that appeared on the screen very quickly. Um, the, the subjects that received 26 micrograms, they did show a decrease um, in the rate of uh, false alarms for fearful faces, but overall we didn't really see much of an effect um, on, on uh, the other expressions. And so um, subjects didn't, uh, didn't really show um, on other measures, they also didn't really show much of a difference in terms of how they responded to positive and negative images. So overall, we, we didn't really see much of a change um, with repeated uh, doses of, uh, low doses of LSD on emotional processing. Um, and in terms of cognitive changes, um, we administered tasks like the, the NBAC task to look at any um, changes in working memory, um, as well as the, the this digit substitution task just to look at overall changes in, in cognitive functioning and we didn't really see any differences with those tasks as well um, and this was both uh, you know during uh, acute so during the drug uh, session so acute effects um, and we also didn't really see uh, lasting effects during the drug-free session either um, we uh, also looked at what effect um, repeated administration of LSD had on um, changes in consciousness. Um, so we administered the 5-DASC, um, which basically just assesses um, altered states of consciousness across five domains, um, and, it, and it has been shown to be sensitive to, to LSD administration. Um, and we found that the highest microdose did seem to um, increase uh, experiences of unity, uh, blissful state, and uh, insightfulness scales. 
um, in a manner to where it seemed to be most prominent on that first session where they received the drug for the first time, um, and then it decreased on subsequent sessions, um, indicating you know potential tolerance. Um, and at the end of each session, we did ask subjects to um, tell us what they thought they received um, at, uh, during each of the sessions since the sessions were double blind. Um, and so they had to select from uh, different classes of drugs. Um, so uh, like cannabinoids, uh, hallucinogens, uh, stimulants. Um, and what we found was that less than uh, 50% of the uh, the 26 microgram groups, so the high uh, dose of LSD, um, less than 50% of them were able to correctly identify that they had been given a psychedelic. Um, so, um, and so, you know, they, they weren't really able to recognize uh, uh, what exactly it was that they had taken. Um, and those, the numbers were even lower for, for the lower microdose group. Um, so, uh, so overall, you know, we found that uh, repeated low doses of LSD really produced minimal effects um, in terms of the measures that, that we looked at. Um, and we saw prim primarily that it increases more stimulant-like effects. Um, and this was observed at only the highest microdose, but not in the 13 microgram dose group. Um, and additionally, most of the effects seem to be most prominent on the first session um, and, and sort of uh, declined from there. Um, and when we administered um, a lot of these measures on the, the drug-free session to look at any lasting effects, we didn't really find much of an effect indicating that, um, you know, most of these effects that we saw were not enduring. Um, and so, you know, even though we, we didn't see much of an effect, which was, you know, kind of uh, disappointing uh, at the end of the study, you know, um, uh, since we didn't really see much of an effect on a lot of the measures, we're still kind of hesitant to say that microdosing isn't beneficial, um, mainly because there are a lot of, you know, different factors that, that could come into play um, to explain why we potentially didn't see much of an effect. So for one, you know, the study was conducted in, in healthy volunteers. Um, and so, you know, it's possible that um, any sort of benefit in mood that might manifest might uh, might be seen more in individuals who are depressed um, or have anxiety um, to, to begin with. Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, we, we um, only administered the microdoses uh, across four sessions. I mean, it could just be that um, more sessions or, or more um, uh, exposure to more doses may be needed in order to, um, to see an effect. Um, the other thing was we, we separated the sessions by three to four days. Um, and this was really, I mean, we were kind of going into it, um, uh, it sort of in, unchartered in terms of, um, you know, people hadn't really looked at this in a, in a controlled setting. And so um, we didn't really know um, what, how often um, or how to separate, how long to separate the days. Um, and so we sort of just based it on anecdotal reports. Um, and, and separated each of the, the administrations uh, by three to four days, but it could just be that that's not the most optimal length of time. Um, um, and so those are some, in terms of future directions, I think there are a lot of you know, different ways that we can 
um, that we can continue the study um, to see whether, you know, um, whether microdosing really is, is beneficial um, in some sort of aspect. And so, so there are a lot of directions that we can take this, um, this study in. Um, so that's sort of what I have for uh, an introduction. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sort of uh, answer any questions that you guys might have at this time. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, your study. Um, you know, from I had like uh, my own conflict with um, with uh, at the institute I was working a company. Like I just give you the background why I really wanted to invite you again. Um, where a company came and wanted to basically. Um, develop like different compounds for microdosing um, for to give like uh, people that have mental health disorders. And back then, based on the studies I read, um, it didn't make any sense to me since it seemed like when people really had the beneficial effect of hallucinogens, it was when they had you know, quite a high dose and had a really profound experience when they looked at brain imaging and also from animal study data, you saw this really change in synaptic plasticity and, and things that, you know, could explain the quick onset of like um, uh, amelioration would be um, from a quite high dose and also throughout um, the, um, I don't know, um, from the institute I worked in was in and he beckoned to all these different um, little villages where they he looked for like traditional medicines, um, you know, where people took like um, all these different hallucinogens and, and tried to bring them back here to the US. And um, I, I I strongly believe that um, if it would have been any benefit, um, people that had access traditionally to those uh, compounds would have used it in a microdosing way. But there's no single what, hundreds of year old wisdom communities that use this kind of drugs in a microdosing way. We just want to basically um, push them into our nine to five um, day job schedule, uh, which uh, in my mind doesn't make sense based on the data, but that's why I like your study so much, but that's already a biased view. So I appreciate you saying in the end, um, the limitation it has, but I want to open up um, questions for the audience. And uh, if you want to comment back, Anna, please feel free. Well, I was curious about um, about the study. You did mention it was disappointing. I was, as I was listening, uh, is it is it you know to establish safety margins? I'm thinking of. Uh, I was stricken by the, you know, essentially the rise of boutiques and uh, ketamine boutiques, and and I'm wondering if uh, is if part of the um, impetus was to to establish that microdose that low 
low baseline to where uh, it's you know becomes very clear that you know by and large the therapy is benign, but you're just starting to you know titrate up to um, a reliable effect. So I'm wondering, I mean, will the study be repeated with um, with 36 and 46 microgram, or I mean, um, it, can you comment on um, on the future directions in that sense? Yeah, so I think um, it, it's it's an interesting point. So I think that um, in terms of the doses that we selected right now, there um, for this particular study, there was such a wide range of variability in terms of um, individual responses. Um, you know, on on some of the scales that we measured, um, there were some subjects on the the high microdose, so the twenty six microgram dose that felt absolutely nothing. And then there were subjects that felt um, a very strong effect. Um, so there was a lot of variability um, at, the, at the dose to where um, um, people typically felt uh, somewhat of an effect and um, at the high microdose. And so we're thinking that um, because of this variability that um, some of it just may have to do with a lot of the pharmacokinetics of the drug. So um, LSD is uh, metabolized by um, uh, CYP2D6 enzymes in the liver, and um, there's a lot of uh, polymorphisms across individuals with that particular um, uh, enzyme. And so it could just be that, you know, however much is ending up in the bloodstream at this particular dose. Um, is just so variable across people that that might be why you see more um, variable effects and that, you know, a higher dose may be needed in order to um, see more consistent uh, types of effects. Because um, as Katerina mentioned, there high, high doses of LSD have been shown to be beneficial in a lot of um, aspects. And um, so, you know, it could just be that uh, a higher dose is, is truly needed or in order to get more of a, these consistent findings. Yeah, also your study shows that the, the, when there was an impact, it seemed to be with the first dose. I also always theorized that giving repeated dose of such a drug would, uh, would maybe even result at some point in the opposite effect since the brain tends to compensate especially for um you know high activating drugs like these that have such an high impact could have such an high impact on plasticity so um do you think that like chronic exposure or basically you know a chronic type of low dose treatment has any future because to me it looks more like if you take it once in a while at a high dose it it shows beneficial effects also like a in gene expression and plasticity but based on your data it supports that probably a chronic exposure is, is maybe even it could maybe even lead to the up not the opposite you don't show the opposite but it doesn't have any any beneficial effect yeah. Um, so if you, you know, even take a look at, um, uh, I don't know if people have the paper open, but if you take a look at like figure four, um, you can kind of see that the strongest effect happens on the first session. And then 
um, the uh, effects sort of uh, decline across subsequent sessions. And so, you know, how we interpret that is that there seems to be a bit of um, tolerance that uh, that develops, um, at least, you know, for, you know, tolerance could develop for certain um, um, for certain uh, measures versus others. Um, and so, you know, in the case of, of um, these altered states of consciousness, we, we saw a little bit of that. And even when we asked people how much of a drug effect they felt, so just overall um, um, uh, subjective effects, that also seemed to be highest on, on the first session and then um, sort of decreased thereafter. And so, and so to us, that's more indicative of, of tolerance. So I, I do, I mean, I would, I would hypothesize that um, um, the most beneficial effects that we could see, um, as you mentioned, Katerina, would be more so of, um, you know, taking it uh, spaced out and um, likely at, at higher doses. Was there, uh, uh, what controls were taken for the patients in the study uh, previous exposure to LSD? Right, so in terms of our um, uh, inclusion criteria, so participants had to have um, had at least one experience with a psychedelic before, um, primarily because we didn't want their first experience of um, a psychedelic to be um, with us, just in case, you know, they might have had uh, some sort of negative uh, effect um, while on a psychedelic. And so we, you know, wouldn't want to, for them to experience that again. Um, and so that was uh, our main um, uh, inclusion criteria in terms of um, uh, past drug use history. Um, most of the subjects had um, uh, taken uh, cannabinoids of some sort before, um, and, and most of them uh, drank alcohol at, um, were regular um, alcohol drinkers. Um, and yeah, in terms of with hallucinogens, it, it was just that they had to have had at least one experience with it. Um, and uh, we, it, they had to, of course, be drug free um, for um, all of the sessions um, and, and couldn't have any drugs in their system uh, during the study. Um, and so those were, those were the measures that, that we took. Curious if there was any correlation between um, past, you know, past exposure to LSD and the ones who showed an effect of, you know, first experience, but um, rapid adaptation or tolerance. Yeah, we didn't take uh, we didn't take a look at that, but that um, that's an interesting thought. Uh, we did look to see whether. Um, uh, body weight had any sort of correlation or association with it, and we didn't find any um, differences with that. Um, for future studies, we were thinking about potentially uh, collecting plasma to um, look at, you know, how much LSD uh, gets in the system, um, or how much LSD, uh, how, how, how much plasma levels of LSD um, could potentially be correlated to subjective responses as well. I think that would be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, uh, 
Dennis Sasirin, uh, Brenda Mona, please go ahead and ask your questions. All right, I can go first. Um, hi, Hannah, this is Dennis. Thanks for joining us. Uh, really interesting talk. Yesterday, we were, we had uh, Dr. Emilio with us, and she had mentioned, we were talking about um, serotonin 2A binding site. It was a different substance, but she had brought up that um, LSD also binds to the site. Now, when you were saying that, if I heard you right, you said the CTP2D6 enzyme in the liver, is that right for the mechanism, the Meta yeah. metabolism metabolism yeah sip 2d6 yep so is there any sort of test for that like was that part of the did you look at if people had like what the levels were or what am i trying to say yeah no that's a that's a good question um no so we we didn't look at um you know, people's um, what sort of uh, uh, variant or any, whether people had any, were either like poor metabolizers, ultra metabolizers, or um, uh, just regular metabolizers for CYP2D6, which is the enzyme that breaks down LSD. Um, and it, it would be interesting to see whether, you know, people um, that fit uh, within those, those different um, aspects whether they um, also, whether that correlates with their subjective um, responses or subjective effects of the drug. Um, and, and my guess would be that, um, you know, people that uh, metabolize the drug quickly would feel more of an effect. Um, but that's something that, that we haven't done um, uh, for this particular study. Um, but I think that would be an interesting direction. If you wanted to assay for that, how would, what would that look like? I think it would just be um, a matter of doing like a, a genetic screening um, to see what sort of polymorphisms people had for CYP2D6. Um, and, you know, depending on uh, whatever variant it is that they have, um, that would, you know, classify them as being either a poor metabolizer for um, CYP2D6 uh, metabolizing enzymes or rapid metabolizer or like an average uh, metabolizer. So it would just be um, a genetic screening, really. For sure. And then you had mentioned that um, one of the criteria was for them not to be on any additional substances during the trial period. Was there blood work ran on that or was it just like, we'll take you at your word or? Yeah, good question. Um, so uh, we did like a, a screening beforehand um, where um, people had to let us know what sort of um, drugs they were taking. Um, if they were like on any sort of SSRI or anything like that, then they just weren't eligible to participate in the study. Um, but on um, days where they uh, came in, uh, for the sessions, we did give them a, a, a urine drug screening um, as well to make sure that they weren't on any substances. Right on. And then um, is there any long-term follow-up or any sort of follow-up period planned? 
No, you know, that would be interesting. We, we sort of thought about that um, um, afterwards as well. It, it would be interesting to sort of follow up with people, especially for the ones that felt more of an effect. Um, we do, you know, a debriefing with everyone at the end of the session where we just ask them, you know, about their overall experience. And that's typically done um, maybe about like a week after they complete the study. But um, there, there really hasn't been any, or there, but yeah, there really hasn't been any sort of follow-up since then. But um, I do think it, it would be interesting and maybe, you know, that's something that we can incorporate for future studies. Cool. Thank you so much. That's all the questions I have for now, but I'll, I'll chime in with any others. Uh, who would like to go next? Flash your mics. Yeah, Mona, if you want to ask your question, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Hi, everyone. Um, so I have like two or three questions somewhat unrelated. Um, I was reading your article and I wanted to know, was there, um, when the participants came off um, the LSD, was there like a flushing period uh, where you guys administered anything to make sure that the drug had, you know, metabolized and they were not experiencing any lingering effects? Um, and then my second question is, did you uh, observe any any of any of the participants? Um, it wasn't in the study that you said, but like their effect on sleep, if their sleep cycles or dreams were changed with the different dosing of the LSD. Thank you. Oh, yeah, the second part of the, uh, the second question. Um, no, we didn't. Um, assess any sort of changes in sleep or or anything like that, but that would be that would have been really interesting to ask. Um, the uh, the most that we do is we do ask participants to um, try and sleep the normal uh, average number of hours that they would um, prior to each session, just to sort of make sure that um, you know they don't come in tired and that that may not that they might that might not affect the results. Um, but in terms of asking them how um, how that could have potentially um, impacted their sleep and whether there were any sort of differences in sort of dream states, I think that would be interesting um, to look at, but we didn't look at that. Um, and then to answer to your first question about um, the length of time between sessions and whether um, you know we ensured that there was a proper flush out, um, no, we, we wanted specifically with the study design, we wanted to see the effects of, you know, repeated dosing. Um, and so, um, and so we didn't have this flush out period, um, because we wanted to see whether, uh, you know, having, um, the drugs still, um, in the system and potentially, you know, lasting, uh, these acute effects potentially combining and, um, looking to see whether that would result in any potential like sensitization or tolerance was something that we were included or we were um, interested in in looking at and included in, in in our study design. I hope that answered the question. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, does anyone else have uh, questions? If not, I'll, I'll ask some stuff um, in the meantime. Um, 
are you planning maybe on doing like brain imaging or EET um, in the future while performing those different cognition tasks um, and um, you know all the different behavior tasks you do? Um, that's a good question. Um, I know that we are in talks of, of starting up another LSD study, um, looking at microdoses and potentially including EEG. Um, and, um, but that's still sort of in the works. And I think that would be an interesting direction to go in. The other thing um, that I think would be interesting would be, um, you know, as uh, somebody that asked a question um, a few minutes ago had mentioned, um, LSD you know, interacts with the serotonergic system, um, primarily through the serotonin 2A receptors. At least we know that um, from a lot of the studies that have been conducted with the full dose of LSD. Um, I think it would be really interesting to see whether um, those same pharmacodynamic effects apply for low doses of LSD, especially because a lot of the effects that we saw are uh, more stimulant-like effects, and we know that LSD can also interact with the dopamine system. So I think it would be interesting to see whether any of these effects that we've been seeing are um, mediated through um, the serotonin 2A receptors or through um, dopamine receptors. Um, so, you know, I, I think for further like future direction, um, I don't know if we'll end up um, taking this on or, you know, hopefully somebody else will. Um, but, you know, looking at whether, um, you know, administering LSD with um, catanserin um, as a serotonin 2A blocker or a, a dopamine blocker to see whether the effects um, can be blocked by either or system would be a good direction to go in to see um, uh, which system may be at play. That's interesting that you say that I, um, I did with a colleague of mine a study um, that during development we administered um, PAPs with SSRIs and then in adults they still had like um, changes in modulation and behavior like depressed like symptoms, less motivation and things like that and we saw that it actually was acting through the glutamate um, system and having having a big effect quite an effect on the dopaminergic um cells so um that was quite interesting so yeah it, it i think you're probably um right there that it has an in in an indirect way um it modulates the dopaminergic um cells too um, you know, if the mechanism would be similar there in like low doses. So, yeah, that's interesting. Thank you. So, are you of... testing motivation um, maybe um, after or maybe do, do you repeat like all these different behavioral tests like after a longer time, let's say like after a week of the last dose or a month or so? Yeah, so we have that, um, it, it's so three to four days after the last dose, um, they came in for um, uh, testing of the same exact behavioral measures um, to see whether, you know, any of the effects were lasting. And uh, we 
found that none of the effects were lasting. So if, um, you know, on certain um, uh, mood measures that we saw an effect for during acute administration, we didn't see any sort of lasting effects with, with that. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, Rajarshi and Eric, you had the question, and Dr. Olu, go ahead. Eric, do you want to go first? Oh, thank you. Um, so, uh, I, um, I, could you describe um, uh, the, it says uh, the drug did not improve mood or effect performance on psychomotor emotional tasks. Um, could you please describe uh, what, which of these tasks were you expecting a change in for microdose of LSD? And uh, uh, do you see this change correspondingly in higher doses or not? Uh, yeah, so um, so some of some of the tasks, um, especially like the emotional processing tasks, you do see an effect at the higher dose. Um, so there's uh, an emotional processing task where um, uh, where pe subjects would see um, images of faces that had different facial expressions that would appear. Um, for a split second, and they had to correctly identify which um, emotional uh, expression was being displayed. And um, uh, it's been shown before that LSD and, and MDMA um, have been shown to um, increase recognition of more like happy um, uh, facial expressions and, and um, happy um, um, th those types of expressions uh, more than you would, uh, than you typically would. Um, and so that's seen at the higher dose. And so we were expecting to see something similar at the lower dose, but we didn't really see that. Um, and then in terms of the, um, the cognitive tasks, um, I don't think as, um, if I uh, am remembering correctly, I don't think that has been um, tested so much with LSD, um, just because, you know, f with at higher doses, because um, of a lot of the alterations in perception that could happen or that occur at that high dose. Um, so uh, for, uh, for the emotional response, uh, you might look at mirror neuron based reactions. Um, I, I think, uh, at least from my very limited personal experience, uh, I think that's a factor. Uh, and uh, it, there might be something around, uh, okay, and um, a test that you might look at is uh, long-term cognitive abilities, not short-term, by which I mean, uh, when I say long-term cognitive, sometimes there are people who are very, uh, how do you say, um, uh, certain tasks which they have difficulty learning because um, they, they haven't picked up the, um, necessary skills. Sorry, go ahead, Eric. It's a development. Um, I, I might, uh, I'm going to make this comment later. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying it's a, a term to you to represent that is just delays in development. It's not necessarily that the system can't evolve in that direction. It just hasn't. Exactly, exactly. So it's like um, the formation of new pathways, the formation of new abilities. Um, and which which the person has ne never picked up before, 
um and these sorts of activities where they've never done something like that um in my experience but uh, personal experience i i'm not a control study are there any like particular is there a way of testing that like any sort of measures for that sounds interesting um i i think you could try learning a new language um just uh, give them five or 10 uh, words and ask them to memorize them and it should be a new language they're not exposed to personally uh, that that might be a way to go uh, i would say like playing a video game so finding the r- right cocktail for a person to both experience some of these uh uh positive health effects while mitigating some other components such as the lack of focus that could be altered with like uh, a corresponding amphetamine for a sustained period of time so you could balance out the load see quite the the limits or the limitations of of human uh, thought and brain activity yeah no that's um something that we you know haven't looked at and that would be that would be interesting to see uh, and um one more thing is that um there is um hindi sorry um there is a notable increase in um just all around general brain activity so if you were to look at things that were more demanding um and their performance at something a really demanding task like um something like uh, and oh, this is on microdose i would recommend this but not on higher doses but uh, because in higher doses it could be quite distracting but if you're supposed taking uh, driving through a really difficult obstacle course while also memorizing words something that's really tasky and demanding where it requires increased brain activity i think in a microdose you might find uh, in a control study slightly increased performance but uh, these are just intuitions oh some of the data that i've seen shows that those people perform better on random data not structured data so if something like an intersection they have a delay because there's a certain expectation that things are supposed to happen a certain way but when they're exposed to like random forest or other situations like that they actually perform better than they were when they were sober so interesting side effect of that you kind of see more of the randomness or you chase it Yeah, that is interesting. Um the I guess the closest thing that um that uh we did with this particular study was the um NBAC task uh where um it's just a a standard measure of working memory um where uh letters are uh, presented to them um one at a time and they have to respond uh to uh a particular letter and back ago um and the increase the increase in the number of um ends basically back ago are uh, more demanding for them and we didn't see um really any differences on like the two back or the three back or anything like that um oh i was referring to the one where they give you a map like hey, where's Aldo and then you get a certain measure of how good people are at uh randomly searching a map to get the best score so i that in particular is the uh the test that i was referring to see yeah no it would it would be interesting to see on those types of measures for sure also the you know the test with the gorilla 
to test, I think, for like open mindedness or so, where you observe, you're supposed to observe something, and then just a gorilla walk through, I think, dancing people and people that. Dancing and basketball, and a man in a gorilla walks by, a gorilla suit walks by. Yeah, knows. 80% of people or something don't see it. Yeah, don't see the gorilla. It would be interesting to see. I think I think people probably in a higher dose of LSD afterwards would see probably the gorilla. I'm not sure if they tested it. Please correct me um, if they did. I'm but it would be interesting to see if there's because that's what people claim, right? To like more minded and more creative and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that has, has also been reported um, with LSD are um, just alterations in in uh, visual perception and alteration in in uh, potentially visual illusions. So. Um, it's been reported that, um, you know, being on a higher dose of LSD can distort or uh, make one unable to see um, the like the hollow mask uh, illusion, um, which is also similar to what's seen in people that have schizophrenia as well. So um, I think it I guess it would be interesting to see whether that type of alteration can also happen um, at lower doses. You might get a lot of interesting data if you did like an anonymous questionnaire that's academic facing, but about psychedelic experiences and any sort of parameterization or systems of analysis that people have kind of independently developed, uh, uh, at least in, uh, in some of my experiences, I've found those kinds of interactions in those states of mind to be quite literally like allows you to see the world differently. So uh, definitely collaborating with, with folks is the most. You know, um, Eric, I, uh, hi, I owe, like, uh, what kind of degree do you have in science? Um, I, I have a PhD in uh, pharmacology. No, no, not you, Hannah, not you, Hannah. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm coming. I was talking to I O. I don't know his name. I mean, like, it's called I O. Eric, Eric, uh, Eric, what kind of degree do you have in science? Why is that relevant? I don't know why. You, I don't know why you interrupted this conversation to say that. But can I just continue and say, uh, um, I, I, although um, the the um, dosage that you're looking at is a valid microdose, I just like to mention that the street minimum for it affecting you is generally considered around 50. Although, of course, um. The effects of microdosing is a very important question. Um, and um, just along the lines of what I was saying, um, you might want to look at subjective questions, something like um, write a hundred words and just see the differences in how they approach that problem, the, the subjective question or a, a long form answer. And you might see um, not so subtle differences in how they choose to approach the problem or how they choose to answer that question. Uh, and that just might be another line of inquiry. Yeah, basically what I was referring to was the famous interview with the mathematician who kind of described different uh, qualities of his experience on LSD compared to DMT. And I think that uh, just because of the still somewhat controversial nature of it, though the UK is legalized for that, so that, that's something to look forward to. Um, but uh, 
But if anyone's curious, I'm going to pass the link on to Kevin so up top. Because you're here, Eric, I thought one should develop a video game for people that are on any type of hallucinogen and where people put in the amount they took and and then just make them perform like you know make the video game where it tests all these different cognition things that we talked about to have i know it's not very clean data but because people also take other stuff and blah blah but i think if you have enough data you can see maybe some i think it would just be interesting and very cool for people that are on these drugs or do microdosing and stuff like that to to do those um video games and test themselves like also for themselves to have like real data because it's very easy to have like the impression it had some effect on you but to really design a video game for people that are using these drugs to like uh, perform better blah 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 you know all these different things they want to achieve if it's actually happening to them it's if it's reasonable to spend their money on it yeah, but integrating it into like a VR headset already puts all the sensors there. It would make monitoring temperature, blood pressure, heart rate. Uh, all those things would just be built into the actual structure of the device, making it seamless. So I think that would definitely be something really interesting, especially if you were able to implement eye tracking and somehow interface that with the uh, materials in the world, making them almost pop up as you do in the psychedelic world when you under that impression that the wall is perhaps melting or or things are uh, perhaps behaving in a way they shouldn't. And just another thing I noticed, um, the half-life of LSD in the body is five days. So um, maybe, I don't know if it's uh, for a lower dosage, if you can expect it to be completely out of the bloodstream, but maybe, the, uh, maybe having a six-day gap in between might be more prudent, but I might be wrong here. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I think um, future studies, uh, it would be um, it would be really beneficial to collect plasma and be able to to look at at those um, at those things as well. Dr. Olu, uh, you didn't have a chance to speak, so please go ahead. Sure. Thanks for uh, inviting me up and um, and alerting me to this really interesting paper. Um, and uh, I, I just sort of glanced at it briefly uh, uh, when I entered the room, and it's really interesting. So I have a, a couple of questions um, related to the work. One is um, it seemed like there were some potent effects uh, for the highest uh, dose for session one, but there seemed to be sort of quick habituation to that. And so one question is, if you're not microdosing and using standard doses, do you still see that same level of habituation? And could that explain the lack of effects that you saw on mood? So that's number one. Um, number two is that um, this was done in healthy um, adults who presumably don't have a mood disorder. And I'm curious uh, as to what the thoughts are about whether um, it can be extrapolated to folks with depression. The findings of this study can be extrapolated to folks with depression, because if you look at studies of SSRIs in healthy adults, you might see some 
acute changes that are possibly related to the mechanism, but it won't necessarily improve the mood of a healthy adult in the same way that it would somebody with major depression. So those are just some of my initial questions and thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, no, those are really, um, really great points. Um, I do think that, uh, so the, the population that we looked at here are just healthy individuals. Um, and I do think that it, we did, you know, initially try to recruit people that um, scored higher on, on depression and anxiety scales, but that was a, a little difficult to do. And so we just decided to go forward with, um, with healthy individuals. But I do think that there is a potential for um, improvements in, in mood in people that um, are depressed or, or anxious or something like that. Um, and so I do think that would definitely be um, a, a, one of the next studies that should be um, looked at because it's true that, you know, these effects can, can um, potentially manifest um, in individuals that um, already just sort of show a, a lower um, mood state to begin with. Um, and then to your first point about the dosing, um, I don't know if there have been studies that have sort of looked at, you know, um, repeated high doses of LSD. Um, I think, I think uh, psychedelics in general are sort of meant to be taken um, sporadically at, at higher doses. I, I don't think that they're, you know, really meant to be taken um, as frequently as um, what we did in the study with with the microdoses. And I think that's what w had piqued people's interest about microdoses was being able to take psychedelics on more of a consistent basis, um, like you potentially could with um, with other substances. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if that's been looked at before in terms of you know gaining tolerance um, to repeated doses of um, higher doses of LSD. Uh, but primarily because that's probably not what um, a typical dosing regimen would be um, at that high dose anyways. Right. I think in some of the um, studies out of Hopkins, I, I think it was done once a week um, for their uh, psilocybin studies. So, but I'm just, I think it would be interesting to look at some of the same measures you looked at in your study and to see whether you get the same level of subjective experience week after week after week. Yeah, no, that would be really interesting to see whether um, any sort of poten potential tolerance could be gained, um, uh, you know, from from higher doses, um, because then that would, you know, indicate that, you know, the uh, the potential therapeutic effects that you could get from them um, would be uh, limited in terms of, you know, only being able to take it every so often and not necessarily um, frequently. Um, if that is the case, at least. And, and I would just say from an implementation standpoint, I think that would actually be attractive, um, right? If the idea is that um, you wouldn't have, this is not something that you'd have to take long-term in order to get long-term benefits. But I think um, the jury is still out on that. Yeah, it's true. Um, I know that's uh, sort of um, what, uh, one of the things that um, has been most attractive in terms of uh, with MDMA uh, and its potential, uh, well, I guess they just did a phase three uh, trial that showed that it is uh, beneficial to um, uh, help treat PTSD in conjunction with psychotherapy. And 
um, you know, you only need a um, limited exposure to MDMA. So, you know, it, I think the same could be said or the same could potentially go for, for the therapeutic um, benefits of higher doses of LSD as well. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And I don't know how to put um, into scientific terms changing your mind, but um, uh, it's easier to change your mind when you're even on a microdose of LSD is my um, hypothesis that I'm putting forward. So I'm not sure exactly how you would test that. Maybe like uh, testing for a personal bias that they have. Like maybe they're scared of dogs and you show them a documentary about how sweet dogs are and they don't hate dogs anymore. So uh, it's things like that. Um, although I'm, I'm struggling to understand how we might test it. Yeah, I mean, there are some um, like implicit uh, uh, bias tests that could um, think that could potentially, um, you know, address that that question. It's an interesting point. You know, also there's um, economics, neuroscience um, studies that people do with you know with money and if people collaborate more with money or less um uh yeah that i agree that would all be interesting i'm you know it's just probably a lot of manpower and money to to do all those studies and go through all the data but um yeah it's you started a very interesting field, so you have endless things to to do. I think you you will have a job forever. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's very true. You know, we finish up one study and we think that like will help address one question, and then you know you have a million other questions that start up from that study, and so um, it's true. We'll be we'll be in business for a while. Um, but so a question that I found very interesting is this tunnel uh, tunnel vision effect um, due to scarcity. So um, you know where you make very irrational financial decisions, not just financial but in general. Um, and it would be interesting, um, or. Are you planning on going into different subgroups of population, maybe a population that has different went through different types of stressors, um, you know, maybe in childhood, maybe in adult life, or both? Um, that I think that it could be different. Um, maybe the um, the response to the microdosing uh, because you know, especially during development, stress factors could change the serotonergic um, uh, pathway. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, it is, uh, it is quite possible that uh, people that um, uh, have uh, increased stress in their life or, or just um, uh, that had increased stressors in their life during critical like developmental periods that, you know, could lead to lasting or enduring effects, um, you know, perhaps 
LSD can um, potentially have different um, impacts on on that, uh, just based on you know its interactions with the serotonergic system. So it's it's you know it is quite possible. I think that would be an interesting other direction to go in. And uh, maybe you have some insight on this, but uh, um, when looking at the uh, the effect of, for example, marijuana on the brain, it's very subjective and apparently follows very different um, pathways. Uh, no, that's the wrong word, uh, but it follow, it has very different effects on different people. So it's highly subjective. I don't know how far that's true for LSD in terms of brain activity and actual physiological effects. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure um, that that's been looked at. Um, I know, you know, cannabinoid use during um, specific uh, developmental periods has been looked at um, quite a bit. And I, I don't know if that's, um, if that's the same for LSD. Yeah, does anyone have uh, more questions? I also wanted to check with you, Hannah, how much time you still have, um, just to make sure, um, you know, that we don't take too much of your time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying this. It's my first time um, uh, on this app and, and being able to participate in something like this. So I'm... Um, so it's been really enjoyable. Um, I just, I will have to put, I, I have um, a newborn, well, I guess not technically now, she's four months, but I'm planning on putting her to bed um, uh, sooner than later. <laughs> but um, but I still, I still have um, a few more minutes to spare for sure. Yeah, I understand not screwing up a sleep schedule is like more important than, I don't know, I think only breathing is more important than that. Yeah, especially she started um, daycare this week. And so I've been like trying to make sure I keep on a, um, a very consistent schedule. But um, but I, I digress. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if anyone in the audience wants to ask a last question, uh, please go ahead. Um, and um, yeah, maybe um, Hannah will join us one day again with like updates about her research um, that um, that would be really great if, if you would do that since we <laughs> we bombarded you with a future what's the future <laughs> so we are obviously very curious about you know your ongoing projects so that would be really wonderful and um, yeah please go ahead if you have another last question and then then we'll let Hannah uh, rest and uh, let her go to her baby. I'm just, I'm just I was curious. I didn't hear if you guys talked about this. I was kind of doing other things, but um, did you guys talk about the creativity uh, link to to it? Um, uh, and and um, just how that works, and uh, if you've seen a, a lot of <clears throat> increase in creativity and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question, um, especially because, you know, a lot of the uh, anecdotal reports 
uh, people um, have been saying that uh, microdosing has really helped, you know, sort of boost uh, creativity. Um, and we did not incorporate any creativity measures for this particular um, study, but um, in uh, the LSD study that we're thinking about starting up pretty soon, there is um, a, a creativity task that we are planning on throwing in there that we'll be able to um, potentially tap into any changes in um, uh, certain aspects of, of creativity. So yeah, no, that's a, um, that would be really important to, to look into. Um, I'm sorry, just a quick comment here is that um, LSD is seen as a toxin by the brain. So um, part of the reaction and response is sort of fight or flight kind of thing where um, it's like the brain has to defend itself against this toxin. So um, a test where you're looking at um, uh, if a person is fighting for survival rather than just comfortable, uh, how we might respond differently or in a more agitated or more involved sense. Um, although right at this moment, I'm not able to think of how you might affect that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that would be, um, I think, another, yet another um, uh, interesting direction, I think, that um, it could go in as, as well. So many different, I feel like I'm getting a lot of... Um, ideas from from chatting with you guys tonight which has been great yeah what's the what would be the test i mean in mice you can do the the swim test you know to see how long they keep swimming until they give up but i'm not sure if we if we should do that to people but uh, yeah it's, i don't know what the test would be yeah and ideally i would say go towards subjective tests even though they're harder to sort of derive metrics for um because i mean uh, like the, the creativity angle and a few other things um which uh, anecdotal evidence supports that uh, you know um certain activities um subjective tests might be better although harder to derive objective results from them um hi Saidi. um Israel, how are you doing? Uh, you want to ask your question? Or oh, Brandon, did you want to follow up? No, I was just going to say, uh, hey, Zadie, good to, good to see you here, man. What's up, guys? You guys want to do like a, a maybe a short reset of, of um, since you just came in, of what we're talking about, some of the things? Yeah, uh, should I? So we were talking about a study that Hannah, um, Dr. Muller did uh, where she gave um, adults, healthy adults, um, uh, different microdoses of LSD. And um, actually, surprisingly, there was not too much of a difference in uh, cognition. There was a little bit of a difference in some emotional cue recognition. And, um, um, and the, the, when there was a difference, it was more um, significant, I think, in the first dose, but then not later on in the, the next doses. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit, I'm interpreting it. <laughs> you're saying, uh, you're saying we got to keep taking bigger doses. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's what I'm saying all along. But Hannah did actually the work to test this, so I didn't. Uh, but, um, yeah, so taking once, 
that's my what I take from it and from compared to the studies with high doses where people that have quite an impactful experience they they really see a really beneficial effect of taking hallucinogens uh, versus you know this microdosing study the first one which uh, Hannah here did um, uh, didn't show um, this related or in moods, for example, improvement in moods um, and things that people report. Uh, um, the study didn't really show that. But Hannah, please correct me if I if I overstated something. No, I think you summed that up. Um, that you summed it up perfectly. Um, you know, the uh, most of the effects that we saw. Um, were more prominent, or the, the minimal effects that we saw seemed to be more prominent on that first um, exposure to the dose. And then subsequently, it seemed to decline more. Um, and uh, I guess the other thing would just be that it was um, primarily on the dose at which people felt more of a subjective type of effect. Um, and so the higher microdose, uh, the people that the uh, um, had received the lower microdose didn't feel very much of an effect, um, and their um, the overall um, most of the measures seem to look very similar to placebos. Is it natural for the scientists, uh, perhaps running such a study, to be a participant? Are there any exceptions or loopholes like that? I feel like for the study of the human mind. You would want people on the ground floor or, you know, the grassroots or wherever this is happening. You would want them there at the front line of understanding of consciousness of reflection. So uh, if it's appropriate, uh, would you be willing to comment on that? I mean, it's a really good point. Um, you know, I don't know if I really have like a, a good answer, a clear cut answer for it. But I mean, it makes sense that. Um, you know, that uh, to sort of get, uh, to be able to get inside of the mind um, and, and uh, think about, you know, what potential um, improvements one can be on while on a substance or, um, you know, what sort of alterations you're experiencing um, in terms of perception. I, I mean, that could very well help you with, with designing a study. Um, to sort of tap into those things. So, um, um, I mean, it's it's a good point, and I think it's um, something that that is uh, discussed quite a bit among people that research um, psychedelics and other other substances as well. But I, I don't know if I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I have a clear cut um, answer on that. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I was asking like if you've uh, participated in these kind of uh, cutting edge experiments from the perspective of I think historically. Uh, I had a friend who uh, kind of went overboard with the, with a similar drug, uh, DMT, and uh, ended up convincing himself of some crazy narrative that there were these creatures talking to him about these equations, and he uh, approached his professor and said, you're all wrong, uh, these are the equations that work, and so on. At least that's the story that he told, but it was through this kind of almost toxic spiral that some people can get into, and they quite literally lose grips reality. And one of the things that was uh, interesting for me to note when working in the neuroscience lab here um, was that we had to pass an training course that mentioned MKUltra and the LSD experiments uh, in Canada where the CIA kind of uh, had people with, were conducting experiments on them, like locking them 
in a dark room for 60 days and dosing them with LSD all the time. One woman went as far as to forget her own children. She does not recognize her own children. She had something like three or five children, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, I don't recall exactly. So a disclaimer, it, is, it can be dangerous and each of us have our own vulnerabilities. So um, I guess just, just to make sure that anyone in the audience is like, oh yeah, this is like a great idea. Uh, you know, there's a term like scripting and all these other things, but please just be careful. Yeah, good point. So are we going on a magical journey in the forest together or what's going on? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, exactly what we're talking about. And, uh, the kind of parameters that define uh, healthy adults and low doses of LSD with uh, uh, Hanamala here. So, link is above. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting studies. Um, I remember reading one in, re in regards to uh, PTSD. Where they, where they were testing on uh, veterans and uh, they were giving them also microdoses. And when it came to rates of suicide, um, rates of depression and all that kind of stuff, um, they found it to be very, very effective. Um, would you agree with that, uh, Dr. Mala? I'm curious because seeing as you are a doctor who does research in the space, or do you think that's more so a placebo effect? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I think the study that you just mentioned with um, with MDMA, um, that was a, it was a phase three trial that um, that was conducted, which is, you know, pretty large. And they did find some pretty um, um, strong evidence uh, in support of, um, you know, MDMA in conjunction with um, therapy uh, having really beneficial effects on, on PTSD. And so, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I think what you're saying is, is true. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and then other psychedelics like mushrooms, a lot of studies opening up now that uh, they wouldn't normally practice, you know, very broad scale studies. And it seems very, very interesting. Uh, it would be interesting to have host a room and have come up and kind of describe how they themselves and amongst their friends have spoken this kind of experience to kind of a preliminary uh, feeling of. Uh, of uh, distribution as well, like so, some self-selected bias these kind of studies, where you're not going to necessarily be uh, representing the whole population because the whole population is crazy. So you you want controlled experiment. So the vaults of Arrowhead session. <laughs> yes, that that's a great example. Uh, like Arrowhead, sometimes sounds ridiculous. Sometimes it sounds like it's a brilliant person, and because of the anonymous format. It loses certain credibility, I think, and it's an unfortunate mission opportunity because I think, like, for example, with MDMA, one of the descriptions that was uh, shared with me about the benefit of it was that it allows you to re recall the traumatic memory, but not get the depth of your physiological responses to fear or flight or fight. So you have this almost like detachment, and through that, process of the new interpretation of that memory, uh, you no longer have as strong of a physiological experience next time because every time you access the memory, uh, you necessarily rewrite it. So quite literally, just thinking back on your life, 
can edit some points of a story so much so that people who were at 9-11 at the two towers, they were standing at one corner of the intersection a decade later when they were asked, they reported the other intersection and they were absolutely certain of it and then they showed them the footage. So, uh, so that reliability of, of human memory or uh, humans to tell good and accurate stories. So, Random overwrites. Yeah, interesting. Um, it's kind of hard to hear. I, I don't know if he's bringing it for everybody, but um, were you referring to, uh, of course, I don't have a background in any of this, but my knowledge, like the, the um, our natural, uh, uh, the way our brain works is that, you know, it, it the fight or flight, um, I think it is it from the amygdala, like it, it'll uh, shoot blood to your uh, feet or something like that so you can run faster in a in a flight situation or shoot or, or it, you know there's a that initial freeze allows you to think that if it's better to run or, or uh, hide is that is that what you're referring to uh, yes there's uh, the uh, the priming of your neural pathways is something that you can train your body and so uh, just by it not being an automatic process when you're on MDMA being kind of up, up and you're like, would you like to up into this emotional crisis moment? Click yes, no, or ask later. <laughs> you know, that's kind <laughs> of uh, how I would describe it. Right. So if, say, for example, if it's a, it's a, if it's a fighter uh, in a boxing ring, like if they're that whole scare tactic, they're, they're using that to um, get blood to rush to your feet so that your hands are slower, right? Um, if you were able to control that better, I guess that's why they use like um, those, what do they call them? Um, uh, beta blockers or something like that so that, you know, you can kind of control it. Is that the same? Um, Eric, is there a way to maybe uh, make some slight adjustments because your auto is literally like cutting in and out, like almost like a radio, you know, um, and it just it, it could be kind of hurtful for people who yeah. are maybe audio sensitive. So, My apologies. Yeah, just letting you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, just, you know, maybe it's an Internet thing or. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe Canada, Internet sucks today. Sorry. Hashtag Putin. Thanks, Putin. <laughs> it was perfect when you said that. Great right now. It was it was perfect for that line. See, there you go again. Putin got me again. God damn it, Putin. Audio <laughs> <laughs> is actually better now. Now that you're talking, it's better now. Yeah. Now that yeah, you yeah. say now he's losing, right? Putin heard his name. He said oh, he uh, did. He, he totally fixed it. <laughs> I think Elon intervened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the broomsticks, the broomsticks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elon's got his handful from uh, with Russia right now. How so? Yeah. How so? Uh, well, he started. He started. Uh, he started pushing back on them. In Soviet Russia, oh, oh, Russia. push the wall pushes back. So I don't know how that's going to work out for them. Yeah. Um, well, Hannah, I wanted to check in with you. You know, we can have a conversation forever, but I know you you probably don't. So <laughs> I wanted to check in with you. Um, please let us know if you need to go. Um, yeah, we can always have another room someday. Um, so, yeah, let me know. 
Sounds good. Yeah, um, my baby's back here getting starting to get a little fussy, so I think I might um, log off. But it's been it's been really great um, talking with you all and um, being able to discuss our work with you and also just hearing about, you know, the different ideas that you guys, um, you know, have suggested as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be uh, more than happy to come back and um, talk and um, maybe join in on some of the other uh, sessions that you guys have coming up as well. So yeah, maybe so we can convince uh, Lee Cronin to do some uh, psychedelics live on Clubhouse with much <laughs> yes. other brave yes. academics. Yes. Very, very interesting. Love having you, uh, Hannah. Yeah. Very interesting topic. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I asked the guy that did the recent Toad study to come here to present. He wanted seriously two thousand five hundred dollars to give a talk. I said, I'm sorry, we all <laughs> our free time. You know, nobody <laughs> makes money here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would have been an interesting discussion, you know, to have like several people doing the studies, but yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a sad indicator of the economy, though, if because normally I, I maybe sometimes some foreign academics have like a side gig or a side hustle, and you're like, this is not even related to anything that you do. And that's kind of what the rest of the world does, whereas I find that not to be so common, at least in North America. Wow. Yeah. And his, his, their work is really interesting too. So yeah, I mean, it'd be really great to hear, you know, straight from them. So yeah. 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 I answered, yeah, I'm sorry. We don't have any funds. We all do this for free, but you know, if you're not interested, then I understand. So he didn't answer back. So I guess that's a no. I could try to. Like... <laughs> no, no, we could sweeten the deal. We could sweeten the deal. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Just uh, forward me the uh, email and I'll see what uh, I can okay. do. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, thank you, Eric. Okay, no we'll pressure, no pressure, right? No pressure. <laughs> wow, <laughs> got some ideas. <laughs> wow, Hannah, we would be thrilled if you would join us again in the future uh, on stage and wherever you're comfortable. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much for, for being thank here. You, of course, we really yeah, appreciate it. Thank and you. Thank you for doing such awesome research, too, though, because yeah. I think it's like. 10 years ago this kind of stuff nobody talked about this and this is now at the forefront of human consciousness and so it's it was a real pleasure and a treat to have you here and i hope you uh, join us sometime in the future yes. yeah so, sounds great all thanks, right Hannah. thank, thank you. you have a good night bye so just some quick announcements follow the the club of course as usual and uh tomorrow at 1 p.m est we have a um, um, microbiome researcher um, dr needham she will talk about her study um, where she anxiety was linked to gut microbiome um, metabolites so that will be really interesting tomorrow at 1 p.m est and uh, we'll have a lot of more exciting rooms coming up from different research areas. So um, next week we'll have um, another autism researcher. She, actually, her team, like uh, two, um, two of the researcher team will be here. Uh, they actually have a, a company so uh, they will present um, 
on Monday at 10 a.m. EST there um, from Israel. So they, they are on that schedule. So they will present. It's a really interesting study about autism identified during first year of life. And their, um, their, the interventions that they came up with look really, really promising. So if you are interested in autism-related new um, treatment options, um, that's the room for you. And then we have on Tuesday, and I'm really excited about that, the... I don't know if you heard also on NPR, the study was discussed about musicality and age interaction and tone development. It's the study where they checked uh, people and kids coming from different uh, um, first languages. So if they grew up in a, in a language that has a tone, like for example, Chinese, versus growing up in a language that doesn't have a tonality, such as English or most European languages, there's a huge difference in and the perfect pitch, so tonality. And um, that's very interesting. And they ask themselves the question, how come? Um, so it points that during development exposure makes a huge difference. So. I'm really excited about that because I heard about it in the radio and she said yes. So I'm excited about it. There will be more interesting rooms that I don't want to count all here because, you know, you will forget it. I would forget it anyway. So, yeah, keep coming back and um, thanks for coming. Um, for Thanks for a great evening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Okay. Take care. Bye. Three, two, one. Bye. 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 Bye.